Electrocast. Family court is a racket. It's it's pay or play. Who has the most money? Every month, my attorney would say, I need your updated income and expense declaration, which you had to put down your bank balance. If you had any investments, what your jewelry was worth, and that let them know how much money was left for them to keep charging. Okay, it basically comes down to this. You have to forget everything your culture has told you about being a woman, and then you can begin your day. Hi, I'm Jill Sorensen, and you are listening to the new feminist podcast, The Place for Common Sense Feminism. In 2012, Gossip Girl actress Kelly Rutherford lived through a nightmare. Her two children were sent to live with their German citizen father in France and Monaco after a controversial, really well-publicized custody decision. When her children exhibited anxiety to leave her side, Kelly had declined to abide by an agreement made in the Monaco court that required her to return her children after she had custody of them for a five-week-long summer vacation in the States. Since the California court had dropped jurisdiction of her case and New York had declined it, she thought that no American court could possibly compel her to send her children back to Monaco. Her ex-husband and his attorney lambasted her as a child abductor. Within days, she was ordered by a New York judge to turn over her children's American passports and to immediately put the kids on a plane back to Monaco. This court case upended her life and sent her into bankruptcy. During her long, difficult, and still ongoing custody battle, she befriended Sarah L., another mother facing an expensive fight for her children in the broken family court system that often favors the wealthier father and lands many mothers in bankruptcy. Together, in an effort to make a difference and to help other women, they made a documentary called Unprotected Children about the family court system where women are burdened by the high cost of legal help, penalized by the courts that favor fathers, and where women risk losing children to abusive parents. Both of you have lived through very difficult circumstances. Can you share your personal story with your kids and family court and what your challenges have been. Yeah. I don't know who wants to start. Kelly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was a very public thing. And um, my kids ended up being sent to a foreign country. And then I had to go over there and, and deal with it over there. And then there was no accountability here. And then there was no accountability there. So it just got, you know, really, it was just a very surreal experience, you know, to go through. And I didn't know going in how that system is set up or or how it functions. And it took me a long time to get what was going on and, and understand that the system is not set up necessarily for for children and for families. It's a money-making place for a lot of people. There's no accountability. Sarah and I were just talking about this before we got on. We all have our stories. If you've been through a divorce, you've been through family court, you know, very unique stories, but yet a lot of similarities that I think we all experience going in. And what do you do to ultimately shift it? I mean, is it changing laws? Is it making a documentary? Is it 
getting on podcasts. And what I realized is that aside from just doing the best I could be to be the best mother I could be under the circumstances, which I always think is like number one is how do I keep myself mentally, physically, emotionally balanced through this crazy time and be able to be there for my kids. And that doesn't mean that always happens, but that's the goal, right? (laughs) Yes. No. When was your case, uh, your custody case, when did it start? And your kids are now living in Monaco. Yeah, they live, they live in Europe. It went on for years. I mean, from the time my son was two. So it's like 12 years since it, wow. I mean, then, you know, when it started. But yeah, so I think the details of the case aren't as exciting. Or, you know, I mean, they're more exciting and, try, you know, crazy. But I think it's also kind of the takeaway because... When you live through an experience like that, it's, it's, you know, you think, well, what can change it? What can, what can, you know, obviously changes us as individuals um, and our perception of, of how things are done. For me, certainly it did, and it gave me a, a broader view of how a lot of systems in place are run and the impact that it has on us. But I think ultimately it's about accountability at the end of the day. If, if these people are held accountable for what happens to the children, a lot of what happens to the children wouldn't be happening right now if they were held, if they're, if the judges and the evaluators and the lawyer, everyone had accountability, let's say in even a, a crazier situation where there was abuse going on. The fact that this is even happening and at the rate it is, is, is beyond imaginable and nobody's held accountable. Not, not one person, you know, if the judge was held accountable for a child being abused or killed or sent to a foreign country and not able to come back, you know, literally exported from their own country where they were born with an American parent, then there's no accountability whatsoever with any of these people. I mean, your life has completely changed because of this ruling. Yeah. Yeah. And thank God, you know, we're all healthy and okay. But, you know, not everyone, I mean, it was beyond imaginable what I went through. So I I can't even imagine what somebody who's gone through something even more, you know, things I, I've heard about just shouldn't be allowed to happen. And they are because nobody's being held accountable. Yeah. Sarah, do you want to share your? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was in family court for seven and a half years and I watched the craziness. Um, Kelly and I said we should call it Madhouse. It's just you walk in, it's like going to Vegas and throwing the dice And you think I'm going in here. I'm a good mother. I just want to protect my kids. And I want to raise my kids in a healthy environment. And the next minute, they're handing your kids over to the unfit parent. They're charging you $50,000 a month. They're making the most outrageous decisions. And then they're putting a custody evaluator who's going to decide the fate of your life and your children's lives. My custody evaluator, I heard, is now hiding out in Mexico. And the first thing she said to me when I met her was that she was Alec Baldwin's investigator when she she did his evaluation. And I was like, what kind of person would even bring that up? What do you mean she's hiding out in Mexico? Uh, I think that some people actually have gone after her for her decisions. I put her on the stand with my case and filed a contempt of court charge because the judge had put in orders 
for, for my children. And she went over to my ex-husband's house and she saw that he had broken these orders. And I went to see her and she showed me on her computer, look, this, you know, this is what I saw at his house. And then I found out from my attorney that she was going to rule against me with the evaluation and give him 90% custody. And so I filed a contempt of court hearing and I put her on the stand and she had to present the evidence and um, her, her evaluation was eventually thrown out and not used, but she had charged $40,000 for the evaluation. I didn't pay for that. My ex had to pay for that, but because he was paying, he was the one who had the evaluation in favor of him. But she knew exactly that she wasn't protecting the children by showing me these things on her computer. And yet she was prepared to go through with that. So I've heard recently that she was living in the Palisades and now she's hiding in Mexico. Some people have gone after her. I think part of whatever scandal she was involved in, because it is a racket. Family court is a racket. It's, it's pay or play. Who has the most money? Every month, my attorney would say, I need your updated income and expense declaration, which you had to put down your bank balance. If you had any investments, what your jewelry was worth, and that let them know how much money was left for them to keep charging. And if you think about my attorney being in a Century City office tower with 25 staff, of course, he wanted to keep charging. And he also went to court one day and the judge asked, was I present? And he said, no, I was on the phone. And he, he said, well, ask her if she's agreeable to do this evaluation. I was not on the phone. I never had any say in it. And he agreed to do that, knowing that would keep my case going at least another year because the evaluation takes at least six months. Then you need to get a court date, which takes another six months. So that decision that he made, made my case keep going an extra year, which meant he could bill me at least $40,000 a month. And he also, um, when I asked for the, you know, the transcripts from the court, he yelled and screamed at me because he knew that, you know, he'd lied to me. I said, I want the transcripts where the judge and then I did get the transcripts. I went downtown and I got them myself and found that he had lied and said she was on the phone and that I was agreeing when I wasn't. So he had told me I didn't need to be at that hearing. And that's the biggest mistake. You never, ever, ever let your attorney go to a hearing without you. You always, always, even if it's just a minor, minor detail hearing, you always need to show up because... You have no idea if they're going to go in the judge's chambers, which happens a lot. And you never know what gets said there. When the judge asks both attorneys to go in his chambers, you, they never tell you what, what happens. So there's just all these different things going on. I had uh, my saving grace was that my attorney knew my judge. They went to the same temple and he made a point of us always getting to court early so that 
he could say good morning to him in the hallway before he went into his chambers. And they had been working together in family court, I think, over 40 years. So when the judge was first um, on this, on this, you know, on family court, his first hearing was against my attorney and they've been doing that for 40 years. So for me, that was really lucky because I, you know, at least I, I knew that my judge and my attorney had a relationship and family court. I mean, that happens a lot with the judges knowing the attorneys and there's just very strange things going on as far as the relationships they have. And if you guys were to define the crisis going on in U.S. family courts, what is the exact crisis? The thing is, there's absolutely no accountability. So when you go in, anything can happen. It's not about the laws. It's not about <laughs> the best interest of anybody other than the lawyers, the judges, the evaluators, and the people operating the system. And they don't have to answer to anyone. And also, yeah, the courts, the courts are not set up with trained professionals in all the cluster B personalities, you've got narcissism and bipolar and, and none of the people working in family court are trained and narcissists love a stage and they can stand up and tell as many lies as they want. And there's no perjury. So we supposed to stand there and put our hand up and swear and take the oaths. I swear to tell the truth. And you can stand up and say the most outrageous things, make up the most insane stories. I mean, I was accused of slashing car tires and key Lamborghinis and destroying these vehicles. There's no evidence and there's no accountability. Like Kelly says, people can just do whatever they want. They can say whatever they want. Yeah. Like a funny making machine and people just go in and lie. <laughs> yeah. And it drives it out. Anybody can go in and say what they want. And then you spend another six months and another hundred thousand, three hundred, that whatever back and forth. There's this whole he said, she said thing going mm. on. And it just is, it's endless. And also when you go into court, you don't really get to speak. So you have lawyers speaking for you and your children. You don't actually get to say a word. So you can't sit there and say, well, that's not true. There's nothing personal about it. You're out, you know, it's out of your hands because your lawyers, again, they either have a relationship. They don't have a relationship. We don't know what goes on. Sarah and I've talked about this so much. And that is like, what do you do? You know, how do you change a system, you know, that's, that's operating in a way that's not for the benefit of the people, what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Right. And the thing is, the, the judge has to ultimately be accountable for what happens to those children and and everyone involved. So if there's a mistake along the way, if a judge had to have their own trial, if a child were harmed, mm -hmm. you know, in other words, how, why did you let this happen? How did an evaluator, experts and judges who are working within family court allow that to happen? There should be an investigation because there isn't, there's no Problem. nothing. No, so anything can happen. Kids get sent to foreign countries. They get sent with abusers. They get sent to foster care. And that's it. And if you don't have the money to, to fight it, you're done. That's it. You're, you're not getting your kid back. And they do what they do very smartly. And they did it with the same thing with me they did to Sarah is every month, how much money do you have? How much money? Because they waited until I had some money coming in at that time. And to wait until I had about $900 and one more paycheck coming in to send my kids to a foreign country it was very smart. 
it's strategic. In hindsight, you see how how it all worked, you know, in it. It's such a sense of disbelief that this is actually happening or allowed to happen and you're in it and you're just trying to survive it. So you don't have time to think about the mechanism in place, nor did you know it going in. Most people don't know the mechanism when they go in. And even if they do, there's no way it's so set. There's just almost no way to navigate it. So it seems like it really set so the wealthy person that's going to have the advantage, like you know, the person with the cash, which is generally the husband, because he had generally not been the stay at home. It's not always the cash, though. It's really not because, I mean, we know very powerful women, very wealthy women that have gone in, right, Sarah, that have, yeah. you know, it's not always a wealthy thing. I think it's like kind of an old boys club and they all just help each other. And who knows what happens behind the door? I don't know. I'm not even, I have no idea what goes on, but it's, it's, there's no accountability and there's a lot of stuff that goes on that is that is absolutely no common sense, definitely not the best interest of the kids. There's I've seen um, I've seen women in Connecticut where it's really bad and the judges are so against women there and they have a group of women. They do court watch with some of these judges that are just making these horrific decisions. These women, there's like 10 of them. They go and sit in these courtrooms and watch these judges and that has started to help but it's just outrageous that they have to do that that you have to put together a court watch to make sure that they know people are watching and that there is going to be some kind of issue if they keep doing what they're doing every state now they're starting to try and write new family bills. They've just brought in one here that Angelina Jolie's trying to get passed because she's just been through a custody decision that she thought was unfair. So she's written a book on children having a voice and children's rights. And she's trying to get this new bill passed in California, which is sitting on the governor's desk right now, which basically says that if a child has been abused, that that abuser is not allowed to have custody unsupervised. So there's... But, I mean, you have a bill that's being put in place that just makes... No, it, you're fighting to have something put in place that is just common sense. Yeah, exactly. And then when you go to family court, I mean, now they, they don't want declarations. They want witnesses there, which makes it 10 times harder as well to do that. And now with the pandemic, I go to court with different people if they need help. I have one lady that her child's being sexually abused. She's a five-year-old little girl. She ran out of money and she didn't pay her attorney. And she went to court with one of the legal assistants in her attorney's office. And the judge gave 80% custody to the abuser. She went and found $30,000 to pay him, went back to court three weeks later after he finally showed up, her attorney, once he got paid and she got the custody brought back to 50%. But in the meantime, a five-year-old had to go with an abuser and he still has unsupervised visits and there's nobody protecting her. And let me ask you, how, how can a perpetrator be able to get custody? How does that work? Family court allows that. 85% of the time, if you report abuse, 85% of the time, the abuser gets custody. Yeah. 
They use it against you. You're alienating for saying something like that. You're you're a gatekeeper. You're trying to keep the kids from the parent. You're it's and it's really set up that way. And I, you know, if we look at the bigger picture, like if we look at what's going on, that women are now being called uh, birth people. If we look at what's going on, that you can't even go in and deliver a baby right now if you haven't had this thing. You know, there's a lot going on right now where it doesn't make sense, right? Like, okay, if, if you now, it, maybe it's a part of moving in this direction that women are supposed to just be birth people. Maybe it's something that's been put in place a long time ago that we're not aware of, you know, that, that children clearly are not being prioritized here. If you look at the mother dynamic here, you know, it used to be that it was common sense that children, babies especially, young babies should be with their mother. I mean, if you look at nature, the little ducklings follow the mother on the pond, you know, it's just what nature. Is, what really is legal abuse and how rampant is that? Legal abuse is rampant all across the country and legal abuse is all the attorney bills and the constant court filings and having to pay the evaluators and the attorneys and any other experts. I mean, you have to pay for the court documents you have to pay for insane bills that your attorney sends you even photocopying and it's it's just rampant abuse my attorney bills were up to fifty thousand dollars a month i had court appearances on there that i didn't even have hearings that day it was constantly having to go through at least 30 pages of bills every single month. And there would be phone calls that I never had with my attorney. There was, like I said, court appearances that I never went to. And I would be every month querying all the, all the bills. And he would automatically take like 5000 to $10,000 off the bills, but they just keep charging and charging. And it's, God. it's just, it's crazy. So... So can you talk, I mean, we talked a little bit about judges and child evaluators. Um, can you share a little bit more about that? Because, for example, my friend, she had a child evaluator. I was supposed mm -hmm. to be one of her wit witnesses. And for mm -hmm. six months, I kept calling him, trying, trying to get to speak to him. And he never once called one of her friends. Is yeah. this a common occurrence? I think that, that custody evaluators can do whatever they want to. And the average cost is probably between twenty dollars to $40,000 per evaluation. And they usually have at least 10 to 15 evaluations going on at the same time. There's an evaluator in Washington, D.C. They call him Mummy Go Bye Bye. He literally just, it's like he copy and paste the name of somebody into each evaluation. He gets the children mixed up with the mothers. He always rules in favor of the fathers and always goes and gets on the stand and testifies against the mothers. And there's, like Kelly said, there's no accountability. There's zero accountability for the lives that are destroyed and and the trauma that the mother and the children have put through. And these evaluators, there's no accountability. There's nobody 
coming in and oversee the mistakes that are being made. And then I also heard that judges, there's a lot of speaking to victims of, of this kind of court abuse or what you want to call it, that depends on what judge you want to get. And you need to make sure you get the right judge to know that they're not going to rule in some crazy way. Is that is that a conversation you find is, is ongoing? I, I think you can, your attorney usually has certain relationships with different judges. So there there is a term called judge shopping where they can be given a judge and they can change that judge. And there's definitely judges that I, I just saw something very, very rare. I have a friend who has an autistic son and she's going through a terrible, terrible custody battle. Her son was kidnapped for 40 days. He wasn't held accountable. This autistic boy ripped all his fingernails out. And the father went and filed a case with child services and reported that the mother was abusing the child and drinking and having these orgies and all of these lies. And when he kidnapped the child and she tried to call the police, they said, we can't do anything because there's a case opened up against you right now. And she had no idea. He went and reported her to child services, which gave him the protection to kidnap this child. He never was held accountable. She luckily right now was given this judge who spent all her free time helping and volunteering with autistic children on the weekends. And she really understands. So this is one of the very rare instances where I've seen somebody get a judge that actually, she's a female judge and she actually is looking out for the best interest of this this woman. So I and I've been going to court with a lot of different people. I've never seen that before. But definitely you can change judges once during your during your hearing um or during your trial, but um most of the attorneys know the judges. They have relationships with all the judges down down in the the courtrooms. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and... Hear the culture. Electric acid. Now you hear a lot of uh, terms lately, like about narcissists and narcissistic abuse. Is that something you've come up on as well? And hearing with the stories of the women, you're Kelly. Do you want to answer any? You know, again, I mean, look, we can call people whatever. We can label anybody anything we want. I think it's it's really how they're treating the children and how they're per- treating the whole situation. I mean, I'm sure there's a spectrum of all sorts of, of things that, that they see. But at the end of the day, 
it should be about the best interest of that child. And there should be a lot more common sense involved and accountability because we're not going to be able to track every single narcissist along the way or every single psycho, whatever words you want to put. I think there's a lot of attention being put on this narcissist thing right now. I'm not against it. I'm not for it. I just think it's also another, it can be another distraction from the ultimate thing that needs to be changed, which is these judges and these evaluators and these lawyers and everyone involved making these decisions about a child's life need to be held accountable. And until they are, it doesn't matter how many narcissists or not narcissists or go whatever goes through court, it's not going to matter. You're not going to say, oh, that parent's a narcissist, so I'm not going to give them time with their kids. Now, you know, we need to say, but if they're abusing that child or they're using this court as a way to get back at the other parent, that needs to be held accountable and, and that needs to be looked at. But, you know, I think there's a huge spectrum here. I think it's important, but I don't think it's going to solve the problem. I think that adding the narcissist or personality disorder, it basically, it just makes the case go on much longer because that kind of, that kind of personality is doing, doing a lot of it for revenge. And they don't really have like a proper attachment to a child and they just want to get back at the mother. It's just another another tactic that's used in court. Nobody has training to deal with it. Now, so what's happening? You've done a documentary or a documentary series on protected children. What What's going on with that? Basically, we've filmed women all across the country from Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, Washington, D.C., Albuquerque, Los Angeles. And we've seen the same impact all across the country. The corruption is rampant. The destruction to children's lives is horrific. Um, Interview children that have tried to commit suicide, who have had their lives destroyed. We've seen the ACEs study, which is the adverse childhood experiences that proves that the trauma inflicted on children going through this kind of suffering, it shortens their life expectancy by 20 years. And what we're trying to do is show the total devastation and destruction of a family court. So people are aware of it because most people are not aware until you actually know somebody or you go through it yourself. And we had no idea when we went through family court what we were up against and my advice to people now is get a mediator, do whatever you can, but do not get an attorney and get involved in family court because you will be bankrupted. 85% of the time could lose custody of your children and your life will be destroyed. We're trying to show the impact. And like Kelly said, the only way to change this is for people to be held accountable. So how would, to hold them accountable, how would you do that? Like what, 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 to, what would have need, to be the, implemented? The whole, the whole system needs to be completely revamped. Like a complete overhaul, it sounds like. The problem is it's a $50 billion business. And all these attorneys and all these judges and these evaluators, they're all there for the money. There's nobody there. The, the project we're doing is called Unprotected because the children are not protected. Nobody takes into account the children with any of this. 
it's all about money. It's all about corruption. And it's trying to help people be aware of the devastation that it's going to cause. I hear about children who spend their entire childhood in family courts. There's a woman in New York when I was there, kind of at the height of everything going on. And she just, I was at a stoplight waiting to cross the street and she looked at me and she just, probably my age, maybe five years younger or something. She just looked at me and she started crying and she said, can I hug you? And I said, yes. And she just held me and cried. And she said, I, I went through the family court system. And she said, I finally, when I finally found out who the judge was that sent me to live with the other parent, I went back to tell them how they destroyed my life, but they had already retired and they wouldn't tell me, you know, where this judge was. And I, you know, I think about here's a woman who, you know, as a young person went through this system and got sent with some, one of the parents. I don't know. I didn't, you know, get into it with her. I just was like kind of holding her. And, you know, you think that this doesn't have an impact for the rest of your life going through this, that for the children, I mean, because look, adults can, we can, we kind of get it. Like we're, we can logically say, oh, okay. It's the, this is what's going on. We see it, the, the, whatever you want to call it, the, uh, that's going on there. But the children take it on as their fault or that they've done something wrong. This woman, this grown woman stopping on the street and having me hold her and cry. I mean, she was a lovely woman. And to have so many of my friends, you know, whisper quietly to me at dinners, saying, I'm not going to get divorced because I don't want to go through what you're going through. I'm not happy in my marriage and I would leave, but I know that this would happen to me. And they're terrified. They don't want to leave their marriages because they're, they're thinking to themselves, I don't want to go through what you're going through. I don't want to go to court and lose custody of my kids for no reason, even though I'm a perfectly fit parent or, you know, be left on the, with no money, left on the street with no money because I went to court and said, I just want all I want. I mean, look, I waddled into court with a two-year-old and I was four months pregnant. And all I said was, I want what's best for my kids. I did not ask for money. I did not ask for full custody. All I said was, you know, whatever's appropriate for their ages, let's do. And however many years later, so it's not, it's not just, okay, I, you know, and it wouldn't have mattered if I had gone in and asked for anything. I just, I just knew what I was going to deal with and I knew who I was dealing with. So I just thought there's no point in even asking. I'm not going to ask for any help here because I know I would never have gotten it. So for me, it was like, how do I make this so simple that no, there won't be an argument? And then look, so this is my point. So you, you, it, it's, it's just, and any mother will tell you, and at least a healthy mother will tell you that you don't care about the money. You don't care. I would have rather handed them the money and everyone involved and said, here, take it, take whatever I have. It's yours. But please give these kids a, a decent schedule for me and their father that is appropriate for their ages. I heard a new thing, uh, a friend who's going through a divorce, but now I don't remember what it's called, but it's basically a divorce that happens together. Two attorneys, child evaluators, uh, some financial person, and you get together as a group to try to solve it. 
outside well, of the that's bench. if everyone wants to yeah stall, yeah that's a, i don't know what that's that, called but i never heard like, about I mean, it before. it's, a, it's, it's mediation a, it's not a called it's not a uh, typical mediation it's a new thing um i mean they put you through all these evaluations that they don't listen to anything the children say the children the children are the last person listened to and then the children get to the point where they're like, why am I going to keep saying something if nobody's listening to me? If well, I'm and even at a certain age, because I went to court because my uh, one of my kids wanted to talk to the judge. He was you know, old enough, like 11, 12 years old, because they won't listen to them when they're kids, which is when they're going to say, I want to be with, you know, we know who when they're little, which is why they don't listen to them. So um, there's, unless there's something going on clearly, but you know, um, you know, and I had to go for a year just to get his voice heard. So, you know, and this is after writing, this is so, and by then, you know, the kids are like, uh, you know, in a very different place or have been shamed for, for writing the court or shame, shamed for wanting to, to say something, you know, so by the time they actually go in front of the, the judge a year later, they're shamed and they're, they're afraid and they, they're, they've backed off and or gone. I'm so scared. I don't know what to do. So this is, this is, yeah, it's a, it's just a part of, it's just, it's set up this way to be this way. And just knowing that is helpful. It's knowing that it is set up that way. It's knowingly set up this way to achieve certain goals, but those goals aren't to help the children or to, to create a peaceful or uh, family, a beautiful family outcome. Yeah. And the other thing with, fa with family court is domestic violence belongs in criminal court and yep. family court is using the domestic violence in the cases instead of taking those cases and putting them in criminal court. I, I've been to court with a one woman, her ex-husband strangled five women and he's allowed to get away with that behavior. If you do that kind of behavior and you're in criminal court, then at least you are held accountable for that. But criminal court should be handling domestic violence, not family court. It's and it, child abuse too, Sarah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's abuse. Completely. Any Very kind of yeah. Domestic abuse, child abuse, they don't belong in family court. They belong in they belong in How do you court. how do you what advice do you have for mothers or fathers in that case? How do you speak to your yeah. children? How do you explain this process to them? Do you have any good advice? My advice is stay away from family court and no i mean how you speak to your children how do you explain uh, this process that sounds that's so toxic and it's it such I injustice how do you how do you guide your kid through this how do you explain it my children got to the point with knowing certain things and the children should never be involved and know anything and they would be like please don't tell the judge please don't tell the judge and their father had obviously told them things about family court and it, it was the most terrifying situation for them to know anything about that and 
I don't discuss any of family court with my children and I never have. I so, but if were, they had to go in, for example, I mean, they, what, and if they, they, they didn't ha- let children go into family court, it's very, very, very rare that children are ever allowed to speak with the judge. I think they have to be 14 years old to be able to go and speak to the judge. They never put children on a stand in family court. Mm-hmm. And and not That's even with the child evaluator, they don't speak to the children. They just they speak. do speak to mm-hmm. the evaluator, but then you know the children, my children could see that the evaluator didn't take anything into account that they were saying. Mm-hmm. So they don't care. They don't. My listen. children mm-hmm. were. It's just traumatizing to go through it. The evaluation. It's tra- yeah, it's traumatizing for the kids. For the kids, yeah. yeah. They're, it's traumatizing, and they have no voice, and nobody listens to them. It's a really dangerous place to have your children. No, it's just important to let them know they don't have to choose, that it's not a choice and that it's not their fault, that this is between the two parents and that, you know, the best you can and as kindly as you can to speak of each other. You know, I mean, I, I haven't always, I've had moments, but for the most part, I try to elevate things and look for anything that is good. Um, and, and focus on that. And I think what's the most important is that they know they're loved. I mean, if nothing else, if if you can do nothing else, which there are times you feel like there is nothing else you can do is that you, you, they know they're loved and that you're there and that you're going to get through it. And that this is just not the way you would have wanted it to be. And you're doing your best to resolve it. You know, I think it's, you know, it's super important for them not to take it on and, you know, to say, I know we may not be able to control all of this, but we can control how we view it. We can control being able to express how we feel. And that's very welcomed. You know, mommy's not always going to know how to feel. You're not always going to know how to feel. It's okay to cry. I think this is very important. I think my kids seeing me be able to share my feelings allowed them to be able to share their feelings. And again, it's not always going to be perfect and it's not all going to come out perfect. And I tell my kids that I'm sorry. Like I I thought I would be able to handle that better. And I'm sorry, I'm crying. I'm telling you this, but in other words, like I think to know that all their feelings are valid and that they are so loved. I mean, my kids, at least they're like, I know, mom, you talk about like, everything's love, everything's love. But it is important because I think all of us, no matter what we go through, what challenges we go through in our lives, if we know we were loved, we forgive a lot. Like my, you know, with our own parents, you know, if you know you're loved, even though we're going to screw up as parents, we're going to do things, whether it's through this system, whether it's just in everyday life, to be able to say you're sorry, to be able to say, I'm, you know, how can I be there for you, even though we're dealing with this? How can I best be there for you? You know, and I always told my kids, and I still do, that I love their dad. You know what I mean? Like, I love, I, they were born out of love. They came, to, you know, into this world full, welcomed and full of love. And I think that sustains them through this kind of mm-hmm. thing. And this has nothing to do with your fault or anything. This is two adults being really 
silly and not nice to each other is what it is. So a a parent about to embark upon this, is there a place, is is there a a website or is there, where can she go and get information about, is there any place? There, I think there, there's a, a lady that started, um, it's called One Mom's Battle and she really has done a good job with people that have zero resources. What's the website? it's called One Mom's Battle, and you can find resources there for attorneys, for navigating the court system, for preparing yourself for the financial abuse. Basically, this lady that started that, her name's Tina, um, she's written a couple of books, and she's devoted her life now to helping people navigate going through the court system. So she has a lot of resources there as far as attorneys and recommendations. And um, I think that is helpful. I would have liked that when I was going through it, because when I was personally going through it, I had no resources. I didn't know I would be having to double guess what was going to happen every time I went to court and how do I deal with my attorney and what to expect. And how long is an evaluation going to take and how much longer can they drag this out? If I had the resources that she's providing, that would have been helpful. So I think using her website is definitely, mm-hmm. it's, um, and she's amazing. She's on Instagram too. Oh, Tina okay. Swithin. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, and lastly, for someone going through a custody case today and just where you, you guys were at years ago, what, is your best advice? Mine is to stay out of family court and go as many places as you can with mediators and any kind of situation that doesn't involve going to court. I would highly recommend staying out of family court because family court is set up to fail children. It doesn't protect children and it destroys families and bankrupts the healthy parent. It's a whoever has the most money wins situation. And I would, at all costs, avoid going to family court. And they basically own your children. They make all the decisions for your children. They have so much power to be able to send an American citizen to a foreign country, to be able to take a breastfeeding nine-month-old infant and have that child dropped at a police station and put on a plane to Sweden to, to make those decisions, one judge to make a decision like that to destroy a life is the last place you want to go. I would just highly recommend anybody to stay out of family court. Yeah. You know, I think that's such great advice, Sarah. I don't know if I can top that other than emotionally just to get in touch with um, your your higher self and do your best to stay uh, sane, you know, I mean, really, and stay balanced and just as much as you can through it, love your children, because at least they are, they're going to know that even though other stuff may be happening that are, is very out of your control, if you do end up in this uh, system that there is an enormous amount of love there. We spend so much time in the stress of it and the worry of it and the insanity of it 
to balance it out with meditation and seeing it work out, seeing your children get through it happy and healthy, seeing them thrive, sending love to your other, your ex, just keep yourself healthy. This is what I'm saying in whatever ways in which you do that. And you can do that and keep love in your heart because it's set up to destroy all of that as well. So the rest of the stuff, what does it matter anyway? What does the money matter? What does all this stuff matter when you look back, right? The important thing is that, that you love your kids. Yeah. And that they know they're loved and that some things you can control what you can control. You control your thoughts. You can control the love you give. You can control your own intention and what you want to see happen and what you want to create through this. And it does shift things. It, yeah. it helps. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on and, and uh, sharing all this. I really appreciate it. <laughs> thank uh, you for and, listening. And good luck on, on Kelly, your continued journey with this. And really, thanks again for all your efforts to try to help other women. I, I mean, women I really children. hope it helps people. I think people have no idea what they're walking into. And I, I hope whatever we just said is is going to help other people before they find themselves in that situation because you you end up in the situation where you're it's not even your ex you're just thrown into fighting attorneys and judges so that i mean it's like you the the reason you went in there almost gets overlooked and you're just in a in a battle with these with this corrupt system mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jill, thank you so much. You're, You're so, so amazing. amazing. Thank you. Thank you for 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 shining the light like you do on so many subjects that you know aren't always easy to talk about and it's just we appreciate all that you're doing good i think it's just good for other people to hear be able to go on and hear that they're going through or shining a light to it so there can be at least a conversation i mean just any kind of help or resources whatever i mean we're just we're just doing and any links you have i will put also on the website any links where women can go for help or or any anything but anyway thank you guys so much for coming on and um thank you jill let's all have a glass of wine soon oh yes we need to (laughs) (laughs) if you like this episode make sure to share it with your friends for info and links on our guests go to our website thenewfeminist.net and make sure to subscribe We always love to hear from you. If you have someone you think we should speak to, let us know. And make sure to follow on Instagram at The New Feminist Official. We'll be back in two weeks with a new podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Jill Sorensen. Thanks for listening. Our producers are Sienna Jackson and Jill Sorensen. Our executive producers are Mark Netter and Peter Rafelson. Our editor is Lucy Baker Swinburne. Original music by Richard Baskin. Until our next episode, thank you for listening. You've been listening to The New Feminist, brought to you by Electrocast Media. Electrocast. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. 
We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts, and hear the culture.